HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com slash HRN. Opening soon is sponsored by diageobaracademy.com. Much like the spring daffodils and iris around the city, restaurants around the country are popping up left and right. Most of the businesses you're seeing opening for the first time have been delayed or held in limbo waiting for the pandemic-era restrictions to be lifted, or at least minimized, and supply chain hang-ups to iron themselves out. It's a wonderful sight to diners eager to get out, and I can imagine an even more exciting time for the teams that have been working and waiting for their vision to come to life. Most restaurants have at least a 10-month journey from creation to inception. The ones that are aiming for spring of 2020, summer of 2020, fall of 2020, or even the winter of 2020 experience a longer stretch. In the case of our guest today, over 560 days in the making. We're excited to welcome our friend, Chef Joe Flam, to the show. Now, just a few weeks since his doors actually opened for the first time. Joe is the chef owner of Rosemary's in Chicago, and you may know him from his days at Chicago's Michelin-starred Italian temple, Spiaggia, or even his turn as Bravo's Top Chef Champion in 2018. Welcome to Opening Soon, Joe. Happy to have you here. Welcome, Joe. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So I saw on Instagram, very credible sources that it took 563 days or something like that from when you last were at the past to be back in the action. How did it feel? Yeah. So, I mean, I left Spiaggia in my last day, I think it was September 30th in 2019. And the uh, plan was um, I left for Croatia a couple of days later. I uh, was doing an R&D trip for about uh, 12 days with some friends. Uh, I figured I'd have a couple months off at home with my son, and we would open in early 2020 was the thought. Maybe a little bit into it. We thought maybe it'd be spring 2020, um, but we're kind of working it out. Uh, that's obviously not how it went down. <laughs> <laughs> Something obviously happened along the way? Not, Yeah, what, what happened this last year? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think, you know, we always, you know, you guys are in restaurants. You talk to people who are in the restaurants, and they always talk about, you know, anyone you talk to about opening, you know, the first thing everyone always says is like, oh, whatever you think you're going to open, you're not going to open on time. You don't even think you're going to open on time. You're going to be six months late, $10 million over budget. And you're going to rain hail on you every day and, you know, whatever. Um, 
And you're like, yeah, I know it's going to be bad. But in the back of your head, you're like, it's not going to be that bad. Um, <laughs> but this was that bad. <laughs> like, right. You know, <laughs> it really was. And it's like, you know, it's just like, you know, people ask me at this point, they're like, well, you know, did, did COVID push you back? Like, when were you supposed to start? It's like, I'm like, it's been pushed back so many times. It's like the, the, like the pushback from where, you know what I mean? The start date's almost like, which start date? We stopped and started so many times. It's like you, you the frame of reference for it is so skewed. Uh, now the story will turn, right? The story will be, oh, you'll never have it as bad as I had it. Right. right? <laughs> yeah, no, no. That's like the ultimate, you know, I think dad <laughs> flex and parent flex is to be like, you'll never have it as hard as I have it. And that's all you really ever want to be able to say to your kids or your lines, <laughs> right? Is that like, it was so much harder for me than you. And right. I think that's just like, you know, as a parent, I think that's where you really find the joy in this situation. So how do you, how did you keep the, uh, the elbows oiled for two years while waiting for, to get back on the line? You know, it was, it's hard. You know, I think this is, this is really, I think restaurants are a place, you know, at least for me, it was a place I really found myself. It was the first place I ever felt like comfortable. I belong, you know, I have a really, you know, a huge sense of belonging and community that's, that's tied in with uh, the idea of working in a restaurant and being here um, and how I kind of, you know, identify it's a, it's a lot of me. Um, and so it was hard uh, taking that chunk out of my life, but you know, Luca was, my son was almost, I guess he was almost one at the time. Um, and I just, you know, my wife was still working full time from home. So I was a stay at home parent for a year and a half. So I kind of just was there, you know, I cooked a ton. I was cooking probably, you know, 19 meals a week for them out of the house. I mean, Um, it's like the parent, the parent working from home cooking. Like I swear Alex cooked more for our family during like the pandemic than he ever cooked meals in a restaurant, like ever combined. It's crazy. Kids eat like 17 times a day for those of you (laughs) who don't have young kids. You're like literally making meal after meal. And no, it's, it's exactly like line cooking. It's like you set up, you cook, and then the service goes out. You shut it down, you clean it, and you get ready for the next push. Uh-huh. That <laughs> is top work. Like, that's all you do. That was my day. And it's like they'd take a nap, and you'd be like, okay, we have a couple hours in between services, guys. Like, let's, you know, do some grocery shopping. Let's, you know, get the kitchen site. Like, maybe we can work on that big project we can been putting off. Maybe get that dough going for Thursday because if it sits for a couple days, then we'll be all right. So it's like I had, like, this thing rolling. I, I call them, like, nap time projects. You know, when I wanted, like, big things for dinner later in the week where it's like that was, like, smoking a brisket or if I wanted to like really make pasta or do something that, you know, because some days it was just like, you know how it is with kids. It's like a lot of days you're just, you know, you're just fighting off the wolves, you know, through the night till morning time. But, you know, some days it's like you have to do a little bit more just for your sanity. And so Mm -hmm. like, I'd be like, I just need to, you know, make pasta during nap time and just have like an hour where it's like I put on some music and like, it's just about me. And this is just like a little bit of me time and just do this and just like remind myself, you know, cause it's a skill and it's like, people are like, you know, Oh, you don't lose it, but it's like, you got to practice it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and so it's, you know, I think for me, a big worry was like losing that sharpness, losing that edge. You know, I was running a very, you know, what I like to think was a very good restaurant. Yeah. Um, and to go from there to, you know, was I was running a pretty good meal program for a uh, <laughs> for a for a co-working space and a toddler daycare, um, you know, but it wasn't quite the same. So, you know, you're kind of wondering, you're like, OK, am I still sharp? And then just like creatively, too, 
you know, you know, I'm like, I haven't written a menu in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Right. So what did you work on the menu? Like, did, is there anything, you know, is there anything you learned or changed about how you cook during this time? And did you take this time to work on the menu and try it out on said feisty toddler and, and coworker slash wife? I mean, you know, sometimes, but it was very, you know, later on what we started doing is I started having these dinners with my partners where it would be, um, so all of us are the same age. We all have kids the same age. Um, so we would do these partner dinners and we'd rotate our houses. Um, and I did, we did probably four or five of those where I would do, you know, seven or eight items I was thinking about for the menu. Um, but you know, like trying to R and D at home and anyone who's mm-hmm. done it can attest to it. Is the problem is it's like you do three hours of work and then you have six hours of dishes. Mm-hmm. And then if you right. throw a toddler on top of that, it's like, it's just, you're not getting anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. You're doing it for the sake of doing it, but you're not creating well. You're not, you know, you're just, it just wasn't working. So I decided kind of early on that I wasn't going to force it. And I was like, I'm going to do this when I want to do this. And so that it's not uh, pressure. It's not a stressor. It's not a stress thing. It should be, this is, should be an enjoyable part of the process of opening this restaurant, right? Just writing this menu. So I'm going to kind of let it evolve organically. And when I run and write stuff down, I'll write stuff down. And then when we get really closer, when this is a really tangible thing and we can actually start like cooking in a restaurant space, you know, then I'm going to really start putting, you know, more concrete things down. That makes a lot of sense because so much has changed, I think, from spring of 2020 to now. How, how has the has the menu changed at all just in the way that, you know, diners are eating now versus a year ago? Well, I mean, you know, I don't. I don't really, you know, I've switched very much gears and the type of restaurant I was at from, you know, a year and a half ago when I was last running service. But um, for me, the menu changed. I think the funny thing is like being off so long, I was like, originally my head looked like, oh, it's going to be a very small, like tight, not very small, but like a tight menu. Um, and then the problem is like when you have more and more time off, you just start thinking about more things that you want to cook. Right. So you're like, you know, my chef of cuisine kept getting texts from me at like midnight. It would be like, you know, I really want to do a capoletti. And I know I said we were only going to do three pastas, but it's like five <laughs> pastas too much. And then, you know, like a week later, I'm like, I know I said five pastas, but I don't think six pastas is too many. And then, you know, like. And you have a diner so menu like, two weeks later. Right. So it's like, you know, we ended up opening with a seven pasta menu, um, <laughs> which I decided was just the right amount at some point in this, you know, whole mess. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, seven pastas. That's perfect. Couldn't have done six. Eight is eight. Eight is way too many. Eight is way too many, but lucky number seven. So you guys, so you all must have been fairly close to if your original date was early 2020. You must have been fairly close in terms of like build out and the space and and all of that when you know shutdowns and things started happening. So we had a bunch of weird shit happen from the uh-huh. get go that okay. all ended up working out. So like we were, so we saw the space that we're currently in. We're like, yes, that's the space. We want to sign it. We started lease negotiations with the landlord. They were like, yeah, you can't have that space, but you can have the one next door, which we didn't like as much, but it was still a great location. So we're like, okay, you know, we'll make that one work. It'll still be great. Whatever. So we were going through a very lengthy negotiation with them. And then halfway through it, they sold the building to somebody else. No. So we were like, oh shit, like, do we not have a space anymore? And so my partner was like, no, 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 no. Frank was like, I'm going to go talk to this landlord. This could be good for us. We'll make this work. So they sold the building. So we went to the new landlord and we said, hey, we still really would like to rent a space in this building, but we'd really like that first spot we looked at. 
And they were like, oh, yeah, great. We'd love to have you in that spot. So this pushed us back originally. So this was like our first like weird thing that happened in the lease negotiation. They sold the building and then, you know, it was back and forth. So all that happened. We finally got that. We're like, cool. We got the corner spot. That's the spot we wanted. It's a better space. We're like, all right. Line up our designer. We line up our contractor. Everything's set up to go. We have the space. And it was like, this was like, you know, by this point, we're in January 2020. So we're like, okay, we'll start construction either, you know, at this point we had pushed back already a few times. We're like, we'll start construction probably either March or April, you know, hopefully February. Couldn't get together, couldn't get together. Still negotiations, still with contractors. So finally we're like, all right, hard date, April 1st, we're starting construction on the restaurant. April 1st, 2020. I'm like, great, get it rolling. They're like, we have it all lined up. We think we'll be able to knock this, this construction out, you know, Four or five months will be open, you know, at the latest August 2020. I'm like, great, perfect. August is a great time of year to open in Chicago. It's usually, a, it's the second slowest month of the year here. But mm-hmm. so it's a good opening month because then it's like you have buzz for that, you know, usual slow shitty month. Right. Um, so I'm like, that'll be great. So, you know, we're rolling. March 16th happens. March 17th happens and they shut down the city. So you had already broken ground on construction at the time that everything was shut down. No, we were two weeks away. Oh, ouch. So we're like, well, now what? And then, you know, it was so uncertain. So everybody, you know, the funny thing was I was supposed to come to New York. Uh, My birthday is April 5th. So I was supposed to come to New York. Uh, My wife had surprised me. She was taking me to New York for my birthday to go eat at Missy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was texting Missy Robbins like early March. I was like, hey, I'll see you next month. We're so excited. We're coming to town. Like, blah, blah, blah. I texted her like a week later. I was like, hey, we're going to eat at like Resdora Friday night. Like, you want to come? Like, whatever. And I remember she texted me back. She's like, don't fucking come here. <laughs> <laughs> That's Missy for like, you. Uh, and I was like, no, I'm sure it's fine. Like, whatever. She's like, no, dude, like, do not fucking come here right now. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, don't fucking come here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever, you know. And then a week later, it was like, you know, New York was shut down. And a week mm-hmm. later, Chicago was shut down. And it was like, wait. What's happening? Yeah, so, the clash. Mm-hmm. Some ways it was probably a blessing that you weren't like up and ready and then got shut down because I feel like then you get into challenges with, you know, the landlord expecting you to find ways to to do takeout or those kind of things that you didn't necessarily foresee yourself doing. Right. And, you know, th- no, that was the best. The best thing that happened to us was that we hadn't broken ground. Mm-hmm. So because we hadn't broken ground, again, this is all this weird shit compounding on top of each other that just ended up working in our favor. You know what I mean? If they wouldn't have sold the building halfway through, we would have had the different space. And we would have signed the lease earlier. We probably would have opened, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, but so, you know, all these things happen. And so pushback. So we couldn't start construction then. So then we just didn't start construction. And we're like, okay, we'll wait till next month. So we wait till May and we're like, yeah, this isn't getting better. Wait till June. By July, I remember I called, uh, I called my business partner one day and I was like, Hey, we just need to talk. I was like, dude, are we still like, are we still doing this? <laughs> like, do we still have a restaurant? Cause they own another restaurant here in town. And I was like nervous, like, okay, like what if this sinks that place and all the money they thought, you know, they had to invest in my restaurant. Maybe they won't have come the other side of this. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I called them up and I said, Hey, you know, there's like, listen, nobody predicted this. You know, you just got to let me know where we stand. I, you know, 
if this isn't it anymore, like I fucking get it. <laughs> like this is a shit show we are living in right now. Um, you know, you just got to let me know, like, you know, if we're still on this road or like, or if I should think about like that, I need to like go find a job when this is over and done. Um, because like, you know, I just don't like everything was so up in the air. And, uh, you know, he was like, no, like we got this, we're talking to landlords, like we're gonna, you know, like, he's like, we think we'll still be able to stay in that space. We're renegotiating everything. And like, we're going to make this work. Like we're going to get to the other side of this, you know? Um, and we just very much had like a kind of like, like Bubba Gump mentality of like, you know, <laughs> if we can be, you know, the shrimp boat on the other side of the storm, we're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since we hadn't started and luckily our landlord was amazing. It was like, Hey, we want you guys to be here. We want this to work. We're going to do whatever it takes to like get you guys to stay here and hopefully be here for a long time. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's amazing. And it seems like people who have, people who have weathered this, it's a lot of it has to do about either where they were and being able to make that space specifically work or also just like their landlord being a true partner in the situation. When did you guys actually start to, when did build out actually start? So we started, so then eventually we're like, okay, we got to pull the trigger on this at some point. We thought it would take us five months to build. So we're like, all right, you know, around August, we thought things were getting better. So we're like, let's pull the trigger. We'll start. So we started like late August. And was that a challenge at that point to have the contractors signed up and and with workers and stuff? No, it was, everybody was looking for work. This was, you know, so it was like, they were ready to roll. So we got people in there and then, but then from there it became challenging. You know, as it got colder here in Chicago, um, cases were getting bad. And so, you know, supply chain things were messed up, you know, things with like trying to get people on site was really hard. How many people we could have on site, you know, safely. And then, you know, um, if someone here, you know, like our GC got sick and then we'd have to shut down the site for a couple of weeks and, you know, all these things, right. Um, that again, you know, no one could foresee these, like there's no, you know, class in culinary school of like how to do a restaurant <laughs> during a global pandemic. Um, or they if there was, I guess I, if there was, I guess I was hung over that day and missed I, it or forgot it or, you know, got called in to work a lunch shift. There will be now and you can teach it, Joe. I know. I yeah, mean, I there we we're, go. All, we're all going to get supply to like <laughs> master's degrees in freaking supply chain management during a pandemic. That, that struggle is real. We can attest to from our business. Right. Yeah. So, you, you know, you know, the struggle of trying to get anything anywhere. So let alone trying to get like some crazy tile that we picked out with our designer a year and a half ago. And we're like, can you get this cute ass tile from, you know, Slovenia to fucking Chicago, yeah. um, you know, through the pandemic. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> no. you know, sure. Eventually, <laughs> maybe at some point. See you in 2022 tile, basically. Right. And that was kind of the thing, you know, I'm sitting in my private dining room right now that has no doors on it because couldn't get fucking doors and like so <laughs> you know it was funny like we had a meeting amongst you know our, our ownership and some managers i'm like what do we really need to get a private dining kind of rolling i was like doors we need fucking doors <laughs> <laughs> otherwise that's just dining <laughs> what about a really cute curtain how are curtains looking yeah. just kidding yeah we'll just get like 20 shower curtains and attach them together bed bath beyond is still supplying <laughs> but you know i think the doors are on their way i don't know i just stopped asking uh, but you know, so it's stuff like that, but eventually, so we got to the point, we thought the restaurant was going to be done like early January, 2021. And the conversation we kind of had internally was like, listen, you know, looking at the numbers, looking at everything is we thought that 
if the city could get to 50%, then it would be in a good enough place where it's like people were feeling comfortable enough, obviously, people were being healthy enough or vaccines or whatever, whatever way we got to where it was 50% in Chicago, that like then we would open. So we were fully planning on if this restaurant was done January 1st, we were going to sit on it and just not open. And, like, and that we was were purely based on numbers, mostly, Joe, that, that you wouldn't, you would lose too much opening before that? Yeah, it just didn't make any sense. We're like, we'd be better off. You know, we had negotiated a great deal with our landlord where they'd given us enough, you know, months of free rent where it's like it wasn't going to cost us any more to sit on this restaurant. You know, we would obviously wouldn't be making money, but it wasn't going to cost us money just to sit on this place. Mm-hmm. So we're like, we have built ourselves enough cushion and we're like, if we have to sit on this place till March or April and the numbers look good, we'll just sit on it. Um, but then, you know, construction has a way of working itself out. So, of course, they weren't, you know, <laughs> even close to being done in January or February. And then finally, when the numbers were finally getting around to it, it was an absolute foot race to the finish of, like, mm-hmm. still trying to get this place done and open um, to open it for, for April 20th. Um, and so um, we finally, like, really, like, I took the space over from the contractors, past inspections. I think it was, uh, like, March 25th. Mm. So, because I wanted a month, I said I wanted a I wanted a full week in here with just my sous chefs, with just us cooking, finalize the menu, do all the pastings for you know um, my partners, um, and like you know just feel good about all the dishes. We took a week for costing after that, and we took a week after that to train the cooks and the front of the house staff, and then that fourth week was uh, soft opening. Mm. you took a whole week to do costing that's so that like nailing down your suppliers and all that kind of stuff yeah so i mean we really just like making sure and like so that week we did you know we did costing we did suppliers vendors we did um like you know linen disposables all that shit we set up the kitchens you know like setting up dry storage setting up the basement making sure everything because, you know, anybody who's been part of an opening, at least maybe in these just ones I were part of, where it's like that first day you showed up and they were like, all right, we got to put all this shit away. And you're like, where does it go? And they're like, oh, we got to figure that out. <laughs> right. So, like, right. your first three days as a line cook at a place is just taking stickers off shit and, you know, like trying to figure out, like, well, where are we going to keep nine pans in this place that nobody thought about keeping nine pans? Right. And, you know, like, um, so we wanted to get all that done before we got the cooks in here. That makes sense. It's all much easier to do, I feel like, before you get started, if you have the time and the the resources to wait. Yeah. I've never heard anybody say that. That's, I mean, I think that's a really smart tip for people who like have the time to take a week and figure that out. Well, a lot of ways you probably actually end up saving money because you're going to burn through time and energy and, you know, costing is going to be wrong and all those things are going to be off if you're trying to do too many things at one time. Right. And that, that was our thought. You know what I mean? It's like, let's get this done right. Let's get it done once so that before we hand our cooks recipes next week, we know these were all great. Right. That we can hand them to people and feel confident about them. We know they're costed. We know where we're getting the product from. We know where it goes when it's getting in. Um, and then, you know, we took a day where we just set up all the stations. And we just went through with each other, okay, this is how I think this station makes sense. And I have three sous chefs, and they each had a station. And it was like, okay. And they had to set up their station. And then they basically just pitched it to the other three of us. And they are like, all right, this is how we're going to work hard. Like you have this set up here and this is where your seasoning trays are going to live. This drawer has all these proteins in it. This has all this in it. And this is how you work. This is how you organize. This is where your cutting board goes, knife goes, bangs go. And then, you know, we talked through it and, you know, I'd say, you know, I don't think 
like this is too close to here from where I'm expediting, or they're not going to be able to hear that if they're over there, or you're going to be too close to pasta if you do this. And so we just kind of tried to talk through every aspect of it so that, again, trying to mitigate. And I think, you know, they're like, yeah, take that week. It costs you. But it's also, it's like, what does it cost you to have 10 cooks stand around for four hours while you're trying to figure it out, right? Right. As opposed to having them walk in, you're like, okay, this is the setup. This is how many nine pins you need for your station. This is how many third pins. This is how many quarter sheet trays. This is how many spoons. This is how many banes. This is how many knives, rags, towels, everything. Go get all this stuff and we're going to start cooking. People probably appreciate not having to uh, to actually come in cooking instead of having to take stickers off shit, as you said. What um, I'm curious also, so now you're cooking for 50% occupancy, but I'm mm-hmm. sure you're, and um, for our guest, Joe's restaurant is 130 seats. Um, so I'm, so now you're cooking for 60 people, you know, at a time potentially. And so I'm guessing your kitchen's set up for 130, but you now have half the amount of guests. How has that worked for you all? Have you had to reconfigure anything or? You know, not really because it's, so we've basically been doing three 60 person turns plus turning the bar, which is 10 seats three times. Um, Are you guys allowed to sit at the bar in in Chicago? Yeah, you can sit at the bar, but they have to be six feet apart. Oh, I miss the bar. <laughs> Coming back to New York very soon. I miss sitting at the bar. Anyways. People are freaking out for the bar. You know, and I, I, I'm just saying, I love sitting at the bar. You know, I think one of the best parenting pieces of parenting advice my buddy gave me um, was like, we're like, when we were having our, our, our son, um, or like, what are the things we got to do before we have the baby? He was like, you at a bar any chance you got. Yeah, he's like, once you have kids, he's like, you can't eat at the bar. He's yeah. like, so anytime you get the opportunity, he's like, eat at a bar. He's like, I miss sitting at the bar and eating so much. I love it. It's so but, true. But yeah, so we're doing about 200 to 200, you know, 20 covers a night. That's awesome. Um, which is kick ass. And, you know, that was, you know, we're super happy with that number. Um, and that's, you know, a pretty good chunk of, you know, what we would normally be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and people just because they haven't been out, like are eating like maniacs. Like everybody who sits at the bar is eating full dinners. Like they're all, you know, just eating full ass dinners. Like they have the same check average as a whole other dining room. And just mm-hmm. people like you know, you see people like just well, I want to order so much stuff and they're just taking it, you know, to go and they're putting it, you know, having a stack of to go boxes next to them at the table of like, you know, all their leftovers and they're like they don't give a shit. They haven't been out and they wanna yeah. eat and they wanna drink and it's awesome. You know, people are grateful for something new. And I think, you know, people want, we've all been sitting in the same shit for a year and a half. You know what I mean? Looking at the same four walls, looking at the same carpeting, if we didn't rip it out yet in some sort of quarantine project or, you know what I mean? <laughs> like looking at our same kitchen, at our same dishware, at our same forks. And so it's like for them to come into a new space they've never been to before, they've never seen before. I think people are like, okay, I think just the feeling of change right now is wildly refreshing. Because we haven't felt that in a positive way in so fucking long. I feel that. I agree. Yeah. I think people are, are also too um, eating like they don't know what could happen tomorrow. I feel like we have a much more short-term look on the future. Joe, tell us one of the things that we've been hearing a lot about um, or a lot of you know questions or gripes or um, on in, in New York is hiring. I know you said you had um, a great management team in place but what about hiring the rest of the team has it been easy to get people to come into work i mean it's never easy but i think it's you know we've been fortunate enough i had um 
our front of the house team is incredible. We have a lot of people who they wanted to work here and they came in and they have just been hit the ground running, done an exceptional job. Um, and we found, you know, a couple of good cooks and they were like, Hey, I have a couple more friends who would like to work here. So, um, we've been pretty fortunate so far. It's like, you know, we could always use another cook. Um, that's kind of how I always feel, but I think you also have to, you know, be willing and move around to be agile. It's the same thing. It's like, you have to be willing to, to take chances on people, right? Like you don't get to go get the exact thing you need all the time, but you have to be willing to say, I'm going to put in the work and the time on, you know, hiring someone who I enjoy being around and who I think will work hard. And like, maybe they don't have any skills yet. You have to say that's okay for a percentage of it and that you're going to do the work to get them to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it's like, yeah, like you said, it's it's nice to train a train somebody from ground up to to you know sort of instill those those things and values and culture on them. Especially if the uh, dry storage is already labeled. <laughs> Easy <Right>. peasy. <laughs> well, I feel like you can hire to your strengths, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's got to be a level of like comfortable where you're like, okay, I know I'm going to have the time and energy to train someone to do this, right? But I'm not going to have the time and energy to train someone to do this, and I think that's how. I've always kind of thought about hiring and it's like, it depends also like who else I have on the line. If I have four strong cooks, like I can hire two or three that like, maybe they've never worked in a kitchen before. And they're just like, Oh yeah, I've been like a bartender or whatever. And now I want to cook. And it's like, okay, we'll see how this rolls out. Um, (laughs) And you know, it's a coin flip every time. And I've had some that worked out great and who are, you know, doing really well now. And you know, I, one of my buddies who I grew up with on the South side, like the dude was, you know, my buddy Jason was selling shoes and he was like, yeah, I think I want to be a cook now. I was like, all right, come on. Like, and so he spent, you know, two years with me when I was opening this other restaurant for Bill Kim. And then he went on, you know, he worked at Lula cafe here in town. He worked at cafe Marie Jean and things out in LA. He worked at Kismet. Um, you know, I think he's opening uh, Stephanie Izzard's new restaurant with her out there. And it's like, it just worked. You know what I mean? We put in the time and the energy and there was a lot of nights where I was like, Jay, you are fucking killing me, man. <laughs> but you know, it was time and effort and work and you know, we got there and you know, now he's, he's kicking ass. And so, um, you know, that's not the usual story, but you get some of those and it makes it worth, uh, I feel like taking the shot on them. Yeah. That's, I think everybody, we, we talk about this a lot. It's like how key mentorship is in this, in this industry to really engaging people and keeping fresh blood going. Um, all right, last question before we move on to our little lightning round. Um, who's cooking for your son now, and is he disappointed that you're back to work full time? Oh man, you're putting, you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so my wife's cooking for him now, and uh, it was kind of like the running joke of her family. And they were like, you know, you think you would have like learned how to cook something while Joe was home all the time, or like for like the twelve years you've been together. And she was like, yeah, I really didn't though. Um, and it's fine you know most of the time he really likes the stuff my wife cooks and she does a good job but it was uh like the first when I first started coming back to work you know we were doing the practice stuff so I was getting home earlier so one night I just busted out of here just early enough to get home like right before bedtime so I got home walked in the door and she was like getting ready to put him to bed and uh he was like no 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 Dada's home like I was like oh yeah I got it though like I'll put him down so, you know, we always, you know, you have your bedtime routine. So I grab him. We go sit down in the chair. We're going to read a book. He gets up off my lap. He pulls up like his little chair and he sits across from me. He looks at my socks and they have pizza on him. It was a Friday. So we always, on Friday nights, we always have pizza. It's like our family thing. You know, we always have Friday night pizza night. 
um, like during quarantine. We did it every week, whether I made it or ordered it. So he looks at my socks and he's like, pizza, huh? I was like, yeah, pizza. I'm like, do you have pizza tonight? He's like, yeah, not good. (laughs) (laughs) Bested. And I was like, I'm like, what do you mean? I'm sure it was good. He's like, no, mama made not good. I'm like, I'm like, Luca, I'm sure it was good. He's like, no, tomatoes were yucky. Oh, (laughs) no. And I was like, no. Like, I'm like, I'm sure, you know, Mama did a really good job. And, you know, it's good. He's like, no, Dad, that pizza's not good. And then so finally, like, after he told me all this, he got back up and sat back on my lap. And we read a couple books. And I put him to bed. So I go downstairs and I was in the kitchen. I'm like, what would you guys have for dinner tonight? (laughs) She's like, we have pizza. But, like, Luca, like, wouldn't eat it. Like, no. She's like, I made, like, this, like, pizza that I, like, bought. And, like. He like wouldn't eat it. He like took one bite and like pushed it away. She's like, "Why?" I was like, "He mentioned it." She's like, "Oh my god!" She's like, "I thought it would make it through at least the first week before he realized the culinary drop off that was about to happen with you going back to work around this house." Oh man, if it makes you feel any better, that's happened in our house too. Like Alex couldn't cook; he was cooking every meal for all the kids too. And at one point, I made quesadillas for my daughter for dinner, and because Alex wasn't available, he was like doing something else. It was the first time in a while I had to cook with for them by myself. And my daughter looked at me and said, what is this? Something for lunch? I was like, you little <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I I got dragged too. So you can tell your wife that we have that in common. It happens yeah. to the best yeah, of us. Yeah, she'll appreciate that. Yeah. Anyways, all right. So let's move on to some lightning round. Do you want to kick us off, Al? Sure. Uh, what was the biggest challenge in getting opened? I think we sort of know the answer from that for the last 45 minutes. Sorry, go ahead. No, I think just, you know, yeah, I don't even know which one to start with. I think just finally getting the city to, to, to get a place where we could open, you know, getting to 50%, that was the road to 50% was so long and that was, that was the biggest thing. What was the biggest win from opening? Um, I think the biggest win was, you know, the most nerve wracking thing for me was that day you know, where you hit the the live button on the reservations, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like that first moment of throwing a party where you're like, what if nobody comes? Mm-hmm. And uh, that first day, I remember uh, my my best friend runs a restaurant in Detroit, and he uh, he sent me a screenshot. We let reservations go at like 10 a.m. in the morning. At 9 o'clock at night, it was uh, 2,400 reservations that booked. Hell, That's yes. Incredible. Um, and that was like, uh, I have the goosebumps just talking about it right now, but, um, it's that was a, like, holy win. shit, like people, uh, <laughs> like, like, you know, like, all right, people are in this. Cool, 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 cool. Like we're going to open the doors <laughs> there's 50 people there because like, if after all this, if we open the doors and there was nobody there, this would be a super fucking bummer. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing is that that is probably, I mean, you have to assume, I would assume that that is local clientele too, cause you're, nobody's was necessarily booking travel for dining in April. Right. So yeah, m- m- wait till you know, I'm surprised. I have met some people who have come in and they're like, Oh yeah, we flew in from Texas just for this or forever. And I've oh, been pretty cool. shocked, but yeah, most of it's, I mean, most of it's pretty local people, you know that's what I mean? They've been waiting for something and you know, it's, it's easy before something opens. Everybody's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Can't wait to come. Can't wait to come. Um, but when you actually flip those doors open to see such a response, you're just like, Oh my, it's fucking Unreal. That's awesome. We can't wait to get there ourselves. What's the favorite dish on the on the menu as of now? Right now, it's the zucchini fritters with uh, basil pesto. Are going like crazy. 
um, the Abruzzi style lamb ragu with malfaldini. Um, we're selling a ton of pork ribs and a ton of uh, grilled clams. So that sounds like that's the guest favorite. What about your favorite? You know, that's a question everybody asks me. I just like, you know, and I don't know. Like, you know, I think the clams I like a lot because it's like they're one, they're like, uh, they're like, I, I just, it was one of those dishes, you know, you put on for yourself. And I was like, this is the dish I want to eat here when it's my day off. And I sit at the bar and I drink a glass of wine and the windows are open. I want to sit at the bar. I'm going to have like three orders of these clams. I'm going to have a bowl of pasta and like, you know, you know, a few glasses of wine. Um, and so these are on the menu for me. Uh, but then it was like, you know, and I didn't think they'd really sell and we're just selling them like fucking crazy. How about Luca's favorite dish? Uh, the Malfaldina. The lamb ragu. He likes that and he likes the, the bronzino. I do like mm. a half bronzino. He really likes that a lot. He'll, he will not be eating mom's pizza after the, <laughs> the lamb ragu, I assume. Um, next question. What do you got? What's the best business resource you've encountered? It could be a podcast, a book, a person. Um, you know, I have a lot of people in my family who have been tremendous. Uh, my partners have been very, very good. The podcast, you know, I, I listen to, uh, the one like businessy podcast I listen to is I like Tim Ferriss. Um, I like listening to a lot of his stuff. I like people, you know, listening to kind of more business minded things. I get too bogged down. I think in the chefy stuff sometimes, mm-hmm. um, where I need to go out of that headspace where it's like, it kind of gives me, sometimes I find it less in, encouraging and more anxiety inducing where you kind of get the, um, you know, you, you're looking around too much, right? You're like, uh, you, you like have that comparison, um, problem where you're like, Oh, well that person's doing this and they're this. And you know, when they were 17, they were staging that fucking, you know, Paul Bocuse's restaurant. You know, when I was 17, I was, you know, smoking marble reds and drinking ice house. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm never going to make it. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's like, I think sometimes those, aren't as good for me when it's such a direct comparison because, uh, I'm like too, too hard on myself with it or whatever. Um, and I think I like hearing from people from other industries and just hearing like what I think other, other industries too. a lot of those people have better balance. And I think that's something, uh, we struggle with really hard in this industry. Um, and for myself, especially in general, um, from just a health perspective to family perspective, all those things. So, um, you know, one of his big things with this podcast is like good routines, so yeah. that's always something I'm looking for. It's like, how do I get a better routine? How do I have a better morning? How do I have a, you know, not go home from work and like eat a cheeseburger and have three beers, like, you know, and just like doing things that are more beneficial to myself and to my family, you know? Yeah. Sure. Have to show up for yourself and your family in order to show up for your guests for sure. Managing a bar requires understanding more than just drinks. At Diageo Bar Academy, you'll find resources to optimize operations, profitability, teamwork, and more. Diageo Bar Academy has some very cool tools, including resources on how to batch cocktails and keg your cocktails, which I didn't even realize was a thing that you can keg your own cocktails um, to help save costs and waste, make your bar more sustainable, which is just too cool. Yeah. Um, And then... You did mention that it is a free online resource, which That's is right. amazing. It's free. Um, and while we're talking about money, they also have that profitability calculator that basically um, lets you know, you know, make sure that you account for everything from um, the syrups you're using, the fruit you use, 
the juice and, and all kinds of other great ideas on how you can uh, really streamline your, uh, your revenue in the bar. Yeah. So fun fact we learned yesterday is that margaritas are the most popular beverage in the U.S., but they're more expensive than most people cost them for. So check out that profitability calculator. Don't forget to stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or your business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Why wait? Visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you'll be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. We shout outs. Yeah, opening soon announcements. Well, obviously, Rosemary just opened as of April 20th. So how far out are you? How are you all booked? Is it 30 days already? Or We, we book, um, we open two months of reservations at a time, um, and we are currently booked out two months. Wow. All right. So stay on top of it, Chicago friends. Uh, bars first come, first serve. There you go. Always a hot tip for the bar. Anybody else that recently opened or is opening soon or reopened recently that you want to shout out, Joe? Um, reopen. I mean, I know for me, the ones I haven't hit yet, uh, Kasamama in, uh, is up in Ukrainian village, uh, or Kasama. Um, I really want to get up there. Uh, Jeannie Kwan, what she's doing up there looks incredible. And I just haven't had an opportunity yet. Um, uh, Apollonia is another uh, Mediterranean restaurant. Uh, Chef Stephen uh, Gelanders is doing um, down like by like Magazine Row, so like 22nd of Michigan down there. Uh, that looks really cool, and I'd really like to hit there as well. Um, those are a couple of cool spots. I really just, you know, like the one, it's like I want to go to like like a fun bar and like have a cocktail. I want to go sit in the backyard at Sportsman's, mm-hmm. you know, on like a warm, sunny night and like, you know, smell people smoke cigarettes while I drink a high life and pretend like I'm 22. <laughs> Isn't that the sad thing? I mean, that's like, it's true. It's like, I just want to be in a buzzy place with like at the bar having cocktails for I'm right. good. I'll, I'll sit at right. the, uh, talking ten, about how obnoxious it is. Yeah, Six exactly. It's bar. so crowded. I can't wait to be like, oh, it's so crowded. Alex it's so like... crowded. I'm so old. It's so hot in here. Uh, uh, let's go Alex? across the street. Yeah, for sure. All right. No, um, for us, we're going to Gage and Tolner, which just reopened after a very long time. So we had a great podcast episode with them um, two seasons ago. So check that out. And Alex and I will are very excited to be dining there Thursday night um, after it took them two years to get open with the pandemic, similar timeline to you as well. So we're very excited for them and excited to check that out. Yes. Um, Joe, tell everybody where to find you and Rosemary's on social online. Um, on social media, you can find me at insta.flam at, uh, at Instagram. Uh, Rosemary is at Rosemary Chicago. Um, you can go to rosemarychicago.com. Uh, you can go to joeflam.com too, if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, and if you're in Chicago, we're at 932 West Fulton Market uh, in the Fulton Market District over here. Cool. Thanks, man. You can find us at We Are Opening Soon and at Till at NYC. Thanks for joining us and sharing. Thanks so much. It was great catching up. Congratulations again. Yeah, great talking to you guys. Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.